Let's open our Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We just sang, His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he cares for me. This past Wednesday, four of us had a little flock of sparrows just a few feet from us that we were able to watch, and it gave us great comfort going into what we faced, because the Lord Jesus Christ said, Know ye not that two sparrows are sold for a farthing? I mean, they're basically worthless birds. They're a nuisance bird. And they're sold for a very small price in the Bible. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, Not one of them falls to the ground without your heavenly Father. And he went on to reason by saying, And ye are of more value than many sparrows. So the point being, when you see a flock of sparrows, as worthless as you might think them to be as a bird, I mean, they don't really compare to America's symbol of the bald eagle, of sparrow. But the Lord is in the control, protection, and guidance of every single one of them. And not one falls to the ground without his complete oversight and care. And he tells you and me, ye are of more value than many sparrows. He says the very hairs of your head are numbered. He cares for us, and he'll take care of us. And we should trust Him. A simple message tonight. A simple message that I hope will remind you of a simple lesson that the people of God should understand. The Bible tells us the just shall live by faith. Our lives will be based on faith. And it's already been said once that if you can see it, faith isn't involved. Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so if we're going to walk by faith, that means at times we have to believe things that are contrary to what we can see. And so I want to encourage you in that walk of faith tonight. Let me read to you three verses from James chapter 1, the first lesson that James wanted to teach those that he wrote. James chapter 1 and verse 2. My brethren... Count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. This is the word of the Lord, and this is a valuable lesson and a simple one. Look at the words. My brethren, count. It is something that you have to do to take the trials and afflictions and adversities that come your way and count them as a blessing. Because it is not something you will do by nature. It's not something we ordinarily do is count bad times as good things. And so the apostle says, count, my brethren, count. When you have something bad happen in your life, count it as a good thing. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. When you have a lot of bad things happen in your life, different kinds of bad things, count it all joy. Not just a little bit of joy, but all joy. And you're going to have to do it very consciously by your faith because it's not what the world does and nor is it what we want to do when those bad things are happening. But the man of faith does it anyway. My brethren... Count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations. Now, it doesn't say we jump into them. 
We fall into them. Because we don't really want them. But we fall into them because God leads us into them at times to fall into divers' temptations. But when you fall into them, count it all joy that you've got some in your life. Because He's leading us by the hand as we have sung tonight through those temptations. The temptations here are not allurements to sin. The temptations here are the trials of adversity and affliction and bad circumstances in your life. Evil events happening in your life like they happen in the life of Job. And when they happen, we should count them, count it all joy that he has brought those to us because it's based on this knowledge. This is a wise man. This is a man who's been taught something so he knows reality. He knows truth. He knows wisdom. He knows what's happening. Knowing this, verse 3 tells us, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Your faith, that is your confidence that God is able and willing to keep all of His promises. That's what faith is. Your confidence in God is increased by you having your faith tried. Because it produces patience. When your faith, when your confidence in God is tested, and you hold fast to God's promises, and you hold fast to God Himself, it builds patience. It produces patience. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, faith is that belief that God is going to keep His word, and it's that by which we're supposed to live. The just shall live by faith. And by faith the elders obtained a good report, so we have Hebrews 11 that tells us about all the great things they did by faith. But faith, when it is tested, that means that it looks like God isn't keeping His promises. It looks like God has forgotten you. It looks like you're in a situation you can't get out of. When you still believe God, it builds patience. Because patience is the endurance of negative events in your life. Patience is waiting for God to perform what He will perform in His timing rather than your timing. It works patience. It produces patience when your faith is tested. And so when temptations come, we ought to be thankful because God is adding to our faith patience. He's making our faith better by trying us and tempting us by adversity and affliction. So we have the fourth verse. But let patience have her perfect work. Let patience have her perfect work. We don't want to let it have its perfect work. We don't like waiting. I don't like waiting as much as anyone in here. We don't like enduring adversity. We'd rather have the adversity go out the window and some good things come in. I like the word prosperity a whole lot better than I like the word adversity. I like the word profit a whole lot better than affliction. And I think you're all with me on that. By nature, we, we do that. But it says, let patience have her perfect work. Instead of fighting it, instead of complaining, instead of murmuring, instead of leaving God, instead of ending your confidence in His promises, instead of thinking God doesn't answer prayers or He doesn't care about me, 
Let patience have her perfect work. Bear up under it. Trust God. Believe Him. Count it all joy so that He can perfect you. Let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. True Christian character, a great Christian, a complete Christian, a mature Christian, the fullness of a Christian, one that's not missing some vital components, one that's not deficient in some major areas of life, is a man who lets patience have her perfect work, so that he ends up being perfect and entire. When the Bible uses perfect, it doesn't mean that you're going to be sinlessly perfect. That you're never going to sin again. It means that you're a complete Christian and you've got everything to please God and good men. You are a well-equipped, thoroughly furnished man of God. And do you know how you get there? By having adversity. You do not get there by prosperity. You get there by affliction. You don't get there by profits. If you have profits, that is something you see. And you don't have to live by faith when you have profits. You live by your profits. Your profits fill your wallet. Your wallet answereth all things, as Solomon wrote. And so you don't need to trust on God because money is taking care of you. Prosperity works that way. And so prosperity does not make great men. Adversity makes great men. That'd be like boot camp giving men a, an eight-week vacation in luxurious surroundings and lots of fine food. But that's not how you make great soldiers. You make them suffer so that they'll know what combat's going to be like. And when they're in combat, they're going to be able to perform under adverse circumstances. And so you give them those adverse circumstances by plan when they're in boot camp. This is the word of the Lord. Look at what it says. And we can back up through the verses now. Verse 4 tells us that to be perfect in the sight of God, a perfect great man of God, is one that has let patience run his course in his life. He doesn't chafe about the bad things. He doesn't fight them. He doesn't murmur. He doesn't give up on prayer. He doesn't give up on God. He doesn't leave the church because God isn't treating him the way he thinks he should be treated. He doesn't give up because he's been given 16 more months. Like we saw this past Wednesday. Well, if that's how you get perfect in verse 4, then you back up into verse 3 and it says that you need trials of your faith in order to get that patience that makes you perfect, which causes you to back up to verse 2 and say, Ah, now I know why I should count it all joy when negative things happen in my life, because if I will bear up under them, it teaches me patience, and patience makes me perfect in the sight of God. Because patience is cheerful, confident, Faith in God when the circumstances in your life look like God's forsaken you. That's what real faith is. And it's called here patience. Patience is not just waiting. We think patience is just waiting. But patience in the Bible is enduring. It's continuing on and enduring under adversity and affliction. Under difficulty, you keep on going. That's what it is. In the word of God. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. And see that Paul and James believe the same thing. Romans chapter 5. I can, I can tell you one thing for sure. 
you know, some sermons might not be for everyone. This sermon is for everyone. Because every one of you are going to have trials of your faith. Every one of you are going to have adversity and affliction. And all you young people, there is no education, there is no training, and there's no bank account that can keep adversity and affliction from you. Because when God wants to bring it, it's coming. And God wants to bring it, so it's coming. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, and you cannot stop them nor protect yourself from them because God's going to bring them. And He's going to bring them in the areas that you're most vulnerable and that bring you down the quickest. He's all wise. He knows what will bother you the most. He knows what could cause you to despair the most. And he'll go after those areas because he's wise. He wants to get your attention by something negative and see if you'll still trust him. Look at Romans 5. You're going to think that Paul must have written James or James wrote Romans. Romans 5, 3. Now he has just said in verses 1 and 2, we are so thankful for the faith that we have that rejoices in hope of the glory of God. The last few words of verse 2. You know, our faith is excited about the future glory of God that we're going to experience when we're in heaven. But faith does more than that. Look at verse 3. And not only so, not just the good things, the good life of thinking about heaven, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Here's joy in divers' temptations. Here it's, we glory in tribulations also. Knowing, same word, knowing. Here's a man with knowledge. This is something I have to teach you. This is something you and I have to learn. Knowing something. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. That means tribulation produces patience if tribulation is responded to properly. And patience worketh experience. That's the ellipsis there. Because patience produces experience if it's responded to correctly, and experience creates hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. If you believe, if you believe and trust the living God as your refuge, like we read this morning from Psalm 71, and tribulations come into your life, and they do not move you, but you say, I still trust you, Lord, Though after my skin, worms destroy this body. Yet will I trust in him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Is what Job would say. And we must believe that. And if you believe that, as you progress from having a tribulation in your life, and believing by faith that God is still with you, and it teaches you some patience, and patience teaches you some experience, so that you get an accumulated resume of patience. And an accumulated resume of patience gives you hope, because you've been through it enough times now that you know God always quickens you and brings you back up from the earth, as we read in Psalm 7120. Are you, are you with me? Amen. The, tri- the tribulations that you face work patience. A whole lot of, ex- of, a whole lot of events of, experience, of patience in your life create a resume of experience, and a resume of experience knows God always delivers, and so it fills you with hope because you know that God is always going to be there for you. And hope maketh not ashamed. And when you have hope in God, 
There is no shame in it because you're never going to be disappointed when you hope in God. Hope is patiently waiting for something God has promised. And God will give you what He's promised. And while you're going through that learning process, God says He will shed abroad in your heart His love of you by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You will know that God loves you and that God is with you as you go through that school of hard knocks. And the school of hard knocks has as its headmaster the Lord of glory. And he cares for us. And his hand is leading us. He guides and takes care of the sparrow and he guides and takes care of us. That is the word of God about tribulations in your life. They're going to come. I've got some right now. I've got some that are pushing me to the wall. I don't like being pushed to the wall. I don't like things out of my control that are controlling me, and I'm not controlling them. I am a control freak about my life. I don't like letting things get out of control. I'll manage my life, and no one is going to mess it up. Now, that's just somebody who needs to be humbled. (laughs) You know, that's the words of a fool. And I hope you saw the email that I sent out on Wednesday, how I closed it out. Your humble and humbled servant. Because the dream team went to play Illyricum. And the dream team thought they had a slam dunk. And the dream team got stuffed. And the Lord is great and good. And I am your humble and humbled servant. I don't like losing. I don't care what the odds are. I don't like losing. And so I'm, I'm wanting to speak to you tonight about being a perfect Christian. Because a perfect Christian takes those adversities and those tribulations and grows by them. And understands that what God really wants is patience. Will you still love me when I appear to have forsaken you? Will you still love me when there's a lot of negative events in your life? Will you still love me when you're not being very blessed? Will you still trust my promises when you don't see much on the table? Will you still believe that I've got a vault full, even though it's not on the table? Will you? That's patience. It's enduring affliction, knowing that God will deliver you, and still believing every promise that he's made. A simple, simple lesson tonight. So let's ask just a few questions. What is perfection? I've told you. Perfection is a complete Christian. It's a mature Christian without major deficiencies in his life. An overall well-prepared, equipped, and trained Christian that pleases God and good men. The Bible gives us many examples, and I'm not even going to take you to them. It takes too long. Let me, let's just think about the word perfect for a minute. The Bible tells us that the Word of God is able to make the man of God perfect. Now, does that mean that the Word of God is able to make the man of God without any sin? No. It goes on to tell us exactly what it means. Truly furnished unto all good works. He is furnished to all good works. That doesn't mean he's going to do every good work, but he's truly furnished. He's got the equipment and the tools for every good work in the Word of God. And when you've got patience, you've got the equipment and the tools to be a full-grown, mature Christian. When you've got patience. Faith is not nearly enough. Do you know what Second Peter chapter 1 says? It says, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge Patience, you got it. 
it says don't don't live that deprived life of just having faith. You've got to add some things to faith, and one of them is patience, which is still trusting God when things are negative. Because that is the ultimate test that we really believe God. Right. Listen, when the money's rolling in, and you can barely get it in the wallet, and you can barely get the wallet in your pocket, it's easy to sing, oh, how I love Jesus. <laughs> yes, baby. Because look what he's doing for me. That's how the natural mind thinks. That's how the natural man thinks. But when there's nothing in the wallet, and when you look around and think about it rationally, you don't even know if there's going to be anything in the wallet. And then they want to sing, oh, how I love Jesus. These people are crazy. He isn't taking care of me. Why should I love him? That's the flesh. And all those thoughts are wicked and they're from hell. They're from the old man. We want to believe him in spite of all that. And you know what the Bible has written? The Bible is written to give you hope by looking at the lives of others who went through all those kinds of trials. You know, 16 months bothers me. I don't like to lose 16 minutes or 16 hours, let alone 16 months. But then I think about Joseph. And I got to use Joseph. You know I got to use Joseph in an appropriate time. Was Joseph forgotten down there in the prison in Egypt? Did he do the butler a favor and explain his dream to him? Did the butler get promoted back to serve Pharaoh? Did the butler promise Joseph, as soon as I have Pharaoh's cup to his lips, I'm going to give him the best Cabernet I can find, and as soon as he's feeling warm and fuzzy, I'm going to ask him to get you out of this jail. Is that what he told Joseph? Did he forget all about it? Did, how long was Joseph there in prison beyond that two more full years? Had God forgotten Joseph? No way. Was God with Joseph? He was still blessing him. Did he have a great plan for Joseph's life? Absolutely. Did Joseph kind of get out of prison? Did it take a long time? Did he have to go before a parole board? Or did Pharaoh just yank him out one day and put him on the throne and took off his ring and gave it to him and said, you are the man in Egypt except when I'm in my throne. Can you believe that? Amen. But look at Joseph for a little while. Right. And you know, we could look at the whole life of Joseph. God gave Joseph a vision that said, Joseph, you are a favored son of your father and I am going to bless you and make you great. And your parents and your brethren are all going to bow down to you when he was 17 years old. Now, at the age of 30, nothing like that had happened. By the age of 30, his brothers had sold him after they tried to kill him. They had lied to his father about what had happened to him. And Joseph's in Egypt. He gets hired. He was sold as a slave. He gets hired. He does such a good job that his boss puts everything under his control. His boss didn't even know what he owned. Right. And, and his, his steward, Joseph, was of another nation. A nation that the Egyptians despised. But Potiphar saw that God was with Joseph. Potiphar didn't want to touch anything he owned. He wanted Midas to keep on touching it. And listen, there was no Midas, but there was a Joseph. And when Joseph touched something, somehow it happened to increase. And so the man was getting wealthier and wealthier because Joseph was in charge of anything, everything. But he was accused of rape and convicted 
and sent to prison. Now, bad things are happening in Joseph's life. Lots of bad things. His brothers hate him. His brothers sell him. His brothers tried to kill him. He's falsely accused of rape and convicted and put into prison. And then he's forgotten that he's in prison by a man he did a service to. And you know how long it was? I just told you if you did the math. About 13 years. 13 years. But you know what? When we come to the New Testament, we get to read by faith Joseph. Because he endured under those afflictions, he still believed God. Because God will always keep his promises. They may not be kept just the way you thought they would be. Joseph had no idea how his brothers were going to bow down to him. But you know you're able to read the story, and when they are bowing down to him, oh, it all comes back to me now. When Joseph was sitting on that throne and his brothers are groveling before him, oh, my Lord, we're not spies. We're the sons of an old man. One of them is gone. Speaking of Joseph, and there they are bowed down, and Joseph recollects God's promise. Now, that was a long illustration, but brethren, that's given to us in the Word of God. There's many of them. Moses was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses was mighty in word and deed. Moses was well known. Moses was a great soldier. Moses was a great statesman. Moses was a great everything in Egypt. He was 40 years old and he went down to deliver his people from the Egyptians. And we can read in the word of God that Moses thought the Israelites would understand that he was the man. He said that they've got to understand. I mean, look at my position. Look at the power and influence I've got. They've got to understand. And so he killed that one Egyptian that was fighting with an Israelite. And you say, well, he's on the path. He's a fast track. He's a fast tracker. He's a wunderkind. No, he got to spend 40 years on the backside of the desert tending sheep. I mean, a man that was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians spent 40 years keeping sheep on the backside of the desert. Now, how long have you been struggling under something? It hasn't been that long. I can, t- I can say that with quite a bit of safety. It hasn't been 40 years. Did God have a plan for Moses? He's going to lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. And he did in glorious fashion. But look at those 40 years. And we could go on and on. God anointed David in the presence of his brethren. And the Holy Spirit came upon David. But look at the number of years. Maybe 10, maybe 15, maybe 20. That he was chased by Saul. And didn't take the throne. He was keeping sheep. He was living in the woods. He was hiding in caves. That's a lot of trouble. But I want to tell you, those men are the great men of the Word of God. And do you know why they were great? Because they endured. They endured. What is perfection? It's having that complete character that pleases God in spite of adversity. The word perfect is used in the Bible that way. When the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, when that which is perfect is come, it means... The Bible, as opposed to the partial gifts. So all it means is complete. And so that's what the word means. And if we want to be complete Christians, thoroughly fit, all aspects of the Christian life established, patience is the key. Can a man be joyful when he's, when his bank account's busting out? Is it easy to be joyful when the cash is there? 
It's easy to be joyful. So your joy doesn't mean anything. Now, can you sing praises to God when your feet are in shackles, in the stocks, in the innermost prison, in Philippi, and you're naked, and you've been beaten in public? Now what about singing and being joyful? Is that a little different? Does that joy mean more? Every aspect of the Christian life takes on a whole new set of values and of importance to God when you bear that fruit in the face of adversity. Can you still be joyful when things are going wrong? What a difference that makes. Every aspect. Can you deny temptation when things are going wrong? You know, when everything's going right, it's pretty easy to avoid. It's easier to avoid temptation because you're getting fed in every other direction. But when nothing's working out, there's less, there's less desire to fight the good fight of faith. But the Word of God measures us by our patient enduring of adversity. What is patience? Patience is bearing up under adversity and tribulation and serving the Lord in spite of difficulties. Look at a few verses with me. Revelation 2.2. Revelation 2.2. Look what Paul said about the church at Ephesus. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Look at the words. Born not fainted, labored, and it's all called patience in its context. That's bearing up under difficulties and heavy weights. And that's not fainting. That's the Christian life. That is what makes a Christian great in the sight of God. Perfect or complete in the sight of God is bearing up and being full of faith under a heavy load. Not fainting, not quitting, not giving up. It's being cast down but not destroyed, as we could have sung from our other hymnal tonight in number 41. Look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Can you think of a man in the Bible who's given as an example of patiently enduring some difficulties and adversities? The Lord's Job. You know, we read the book of Job and we say he didn't look very patient, but the Lord still allows him some patience. Because for a while he did show some. Look at James 5.10. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. There it is. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The key here is suffering affliction in verse 10 and enduring in verse 11. Behold, we count them happy. The ones that endure, God does come and deliver them. You just keep on trusting Him and counting it all joy when you're under that suffering and experiencing that affliction. God has sent it. God arranged it. You say, no, it's my foolishness that got me into it. Oh, you didn't think God could overrule your foolishness and keep you out of that situation? You're wrong. It's the Lord that arranged it. Even when you're blaming yourself, 
It's the Lord that arranged that tribulation. And if you'll bear up under it, He will deliver you from it. He can deliver you while you're in it by His grace. And He can deliver you from it by taking it away. That is patience. There's so many other verses that could be used along that lines of bearing up under tribulation. But there's another aspect of patience, and it's closer to what you think the word means, and that is waiting. It's waiting for God to do things in His time when you think He ought to do them right now. I'll tell you when I think God ought to answer my prayers before I can say amen. Why should I have to pray twice for something? I mean, I told him the first time that I needed it. Please don't be upset at your pastor for talking this way. I'm telling you what my flesh thinks like. Because right. I happen to think you have one too. Amen. When I pray and I tell the Lord and I try to tell him as seriously as I can, I expect to rise up and hear the phone ring. And once in a while he'll do that to show me that he's able to do it. I'm serious. I have him. I don't ever tell you stories to try to build your faith. I tell you the Word of God to build your faith. But I've got them because He's built my faith in addition to the Word of God by answering prayers that fast. But see, I tend to think that's the way He ought to do it. After all, look at who's praying, Lord. You know, that's how we think. This is serious. I even put in a day without food, Lord. Now you've got to do it. He doesn't got to do it. You need to wait on Him. His timing is always best. James 5, 7. We're right here in this chapter. I want to show you verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Right here in the same context, the word patience doesn't mean enduring Affliction, the word patience means holding out, waiting long enough for the fruit to come out of the ground and the early and latter rains coming to bring the fruit out of the ground. So it's a waiting game with the Lord. I don't mean game disrespectfully. The Lord wants to see if we'll wait. We may be seeking a blessing from Him, and it doesn't come, and it doesn't come, and it doesn't come. Is he lost his power? Has he lost his ears? Has he lost his willingness? Has he lost his care? No, 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 and no. He's teaching us patience to wait, to wait for him and his timing. Look at Hebrews 12.1. You're close by there. Hebrews 12.1. We're talking about what is patience. We're asking, we're answering the question. What is patience? Patience is enduring under difficult, negative, and adverse circumstances. But it's also waiting for the Lord's timing. My brother didn't have a job for nine months. Do you think that should have been six or seven? Five or four? One? One. You wanted one month off before you got the new job. I got you. I got you thinking about yourself. Every one of you. And we all know that. that those, not, those months hurt him. He was bleeding cash. I remember the pain. Every one of you, I can, I, can, I can go to every one of you and talk about things in your life that didn't happen in your timing. 
But God is still in charge. Amen. And it's never over until it's all over. David is still on the ground for that baby, and he's there until it's dead. Even though God had said, it will surely die. That didn't mean anything to David, because David knew that God had grace and was merciful. And so David was on the deck. Only when the baby is dead, when the Lord takes its life, does David go on to his next prayer request. But I'll tell you, as soon as that baby died, I want to remind you, and I know I've told you this recently, would you please tell me? Or go over with me what David did. He rose up from the earth and washed himself because he'd been laying there for a whole week. He anointed himself. He ate and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And that is enduring the answer to a prayer, no. Hebrews 12, 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What are the cloud of witnesses? All those great heroes of the faith in chapter 11. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. See, this is waiting. This is continuing to put one step in front of the other in a long-distance endurance race of Hebrews 12, 1. And there's many other references How does patience work perfection? Patience works perfection. Now, patience is enduring, waiting, and trusting God when things look very bleak. How does it build perfection? Because you are a perfect Christian when you still believe on Him and you are still joyful and you still trust Him and you still speak of Him and you still obey Him And you still deny yourself when you're suffering. When you're being deprived of what you think you deserve or you think you need or you think you want. When you continue to do those things toward the Lord, that is a perfect Christian. That is a great Christian. That is one that makes it into Hebrews 11 who keeps on doing it even when all the circumstances in his life are turning negative. If you fully and cheerfully trust God, even when things are bad and ugly, you have true godly faith. Because that is faith being tried and faith practicing patience and trusting God anyway. If you faint when adversity comes, what does the Bible tell us? Proverbs 24.10, your strength is small. If thou faintest in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Proverbs 24.10. See, you're a weak Christian. You're a partial Christian. You're only serving the Lord and standing in there with full effort when things are going your way. But if you stay in there and give God your best, when adversity comes, your strength is great. We cannot faint because things don't turn out just the way you want them to. They're going to turn out better than the way you want them to as soon as God releases His blessing. He's holding it back to make you perfect. You say, well, I know there's some other causes that he holds things back at other t- at some times, and they're my fault. Well, then take care of them. Right? Amen. God chastens us sometimes for our foolishness, and sometimes we reap the consequences of our sins. But I'll tell you the thing to do is to keep on praising the Lord and trusting him and to confess your foolishness, and he'll withdraw that right. chastening. He is ever merciful. 
If you only bear the fruit of the Spirit in good times, do you know what you do? You fulfill the charge of the devil against Job. Doth Job fear God for not? God, you're bragging about Job. But you and I both know that the only reason Job fears you is because you've put a hedge about him and you've blessed everything that he touches. If you only serve God and bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, when things are going well with you, you fulfill the accusation of the devil. That wasn't true with Job. God let Satan have Job, and he took away everything that he owned, and he still worshipped God. Then he took away his health, and he still worshipped God. And that's what we ought to be, and Job is set forth as an example, a great example of patience. When you can be joyful and thankful in bad times, that shows real trust of the Lord. If you only do what is right when you're prospering, you are a belly worshiper. How can I prove that? If you will only do what's right when you're prospering, you're a belly worshiper. Because it's obviously the prosperity that's driving you, not your faith in God and your fear of Him. Because if it's faith in God and fear of Him, circumstances are not going to alter your confidence in Him, nor your obedience to Him. How does tribulation build patience? Since patience makes us perfect. How does tribulation do it? Listen, without adversity or affliction, you can't learn patience. If God gave us everything we wanted right when we wanted it, you would not learn any patience. You would not even learn faith. What would you believe? I would believe there's a God. Well, would you believe that, he's a, that He re- diligently rewards those? Would you believe that He rewards those that diligently seek Him? No, you couldn't, because you wouldn't have done any diligent seeking of Him if you got everything you wanted when you wanted it. Are you with me on that? You couldn't really show faith. Faith is believing that God is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And diligence takes time. Diligence is not an explosion of effort. Diligence is enduring effort that gets the job done. That's how tribulation helps us. Faith in God must have an obstacle or a difficulty to overcome, or it can hardly be called faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If what you're hoping for you've already got, there's no faith involved. If you can already see how something's going to work out, there's no faith involved. And, you know, we don't, I don't like, I'll speak for me since you're not telling me I can speak for you. But when I can't see how something's going to work out, I do not like that. I want to know how everything's going to work out. I want to say A is going to happen, then B, then C, then D, then I'm okay. And when the Lord takes A, B, C, and D away from me, then I'm totally reliant upon Him. And you know what? My flesh does not like to be totally reliant upon Him. My flesh wants to be reliant upon me. My flesh wants to trust the dream team. My flesh wants to trust effort. My, tr- my flesh wants to trust my diligence. Faith in God needs some obstacles or it can hardly be called faith. If everything turned up roses in your life, or if you had the touch of Midas, you wouldn't have any need for faith. Because you'd be realizing by sight and sense everything that God was giving you. 
But when you are stripped down to nothing, when you're naked and you have nothing, and you don't see A, B, C, and D, and you don't know how it's going to all work out, you cast yourself upon the Lord. Cast yourself upon the Lord and put your trust in Him. And then go do a reasonable best and go to bed. And He'll take care of the rest. He always has. He always will. And that is true faith. And that makes a great Christian in the sight of God because he wants us trusting him when he withdraws everything that we can take comfort and confidence in other than him. When he takes it all away and all that's left is him, he wants us entirely relying on him. That's what he wants from us. He wants to build that faith because faith is how we worship God by trusting him and his promises that he will perform. If you saw all your desires and prayers fulfilled as soon as you made them, what kind of faith would you have? If you got everything you wanted when you wanted it, what would you need faith and hope for? Right. Hope is waiting is an expectation of waiting for something that you don't have. And faith works patience and patience experience and experience hope. So the, the development of those character traits of a real Christian have to have obstacles come up in your life where you are really shaken. And the Lord knows what really shakes each of us. For some it's money. For some it's health. For some it's family. And I watch this. I watch it. And you should be able to watch it. I'm a pastor, but that doesn't make... You should be able to discern it. Everyone in this church, and most of you, I can tell you which of those three would bother you the most. And you know what? The Lord goes after the one that will bother you. Sometimes He'll be filling your pockets with the other one, but he bothers you with the one that, you, that, that gets you attention the most. But he wants us to bear up under that. Amen. And that is how we develop true Christianity. And I want, to, I want to tell you something. While we have lots of adversity and affliction in various lives of various types, and I've got some right now. You know, I asked prayer tonight for something that's a huge burden on me. I'd rather talk about your burdens, and I'd rather pray about your burdens in this church. And so that's the way it is. That's why you don't hear that much. But it's been a weight, and it is a weight. But we're still going to trust the Lord completely in those things. And He'll take care of us.